All right, welcome to the midweeks. We're gonna look at the life of Jehu today. Um, I'm gonna try recording this, this two-chapter biography in one go. I'll split it up over a couple of sessions, but this is one whole story, and I'm gonna try to record it in one shot with a break in between. So, if you remember, um, we were introduced to Jehu really in the days of Elijah when he was on the run from Jezebel and he goes and meets with the Lord on Mount Horeb. And one of the commands God gave him was to anoint Jehu um, to be a tool of God's vengeance. And God says, you know, my I'm really with the 7,000 who haven't bowed a knee to Baal. But Jehu is named as one of God's responses to what Ahab and Jezebel are doing. And Elijah doesn't do that during his lifetime, but Elisha does. And so this is, uh, Elisha initiates this whole story, and Jehu is going to be used by the Lord to fulfill multiple uh, wrath prophecies against Ahab and Jezebel. But Ahab's already passed away, because if you remember at the end of First Kings, Ahab has... Um, humbled himself when God said this bad stuff's going to happen to you and your family. Ahab humbles himself and in response to his humility God says, okay, this is going to be fulfilled after you pass away, not in your lifetime. But we're going to start in chapter 9 and this is going to be the anointing of Jehu. Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go down to go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then you, then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. Alright, so this is actually an anointing story like Samuel did for uh, Saul and Samuel did for David. And we haven't had a bunch of these in a while. So we've got an anointing story where a prophet is anointing a king. So this is an official transfer of dynasty from Ahab to another dynasty that's going to reign over Israel. Elisha isn't doing it himself, but he sends one of the sons of the prophets. And remember in Hebrew, the term son is sometimes symbolic as well. That just could mean disciple or follower. And we'll see that in verse 4, that that's true. The servant of the prophets and the son of the prophets mean the same thing. And he gets this instruction to go and do this anointing secretly and then take off, which is probably a sign that it's a huge political change and a dangerous move for the prophet. He doesn't want to be sticking around. Verse 4, So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he came, behold, the commander of the army, arm, commanders of the army were in council, and he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of all of us? And he said to you, O commander. So he rose and went into the house, and the young man poured the oil on his head, saying, Thus is the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that he may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, but I will cut off from Ahab every man, bond and free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, and the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. All right, so we have an example here of a summary statement and a more full statement. So Elijah, Elisha sends this prophet, and it's kind of a summary of his commands. And when the prophet finally does it, 
what he says is more expanded. So I don't read this as saying that the prophet made up more stuff. I think that he probably got this whole message, but instead of repeating himself longer and then shorter repetition, what it did was you had the shorter summary of the command first with Elisha, and then the all this stuff he was actually told to do actually happens in the moment where it just so it was probably the same thing but but just for the sake of good narrative we only experience the full prophetic word in the moment when jehu's there and it's just more interesting that way okay so the prophet takes off and but we see that this transfer of dynasty from ahab's lineage to jehu's lineage is reminded of as a the uh a response from the Lord for their sins and crimes. And when we hear in verse 10 about the dogs eating Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, this should remind us of uh, Naboth and his vineyard and how Jezebel got him killed in Jezreel. That's where Naboth was from. And so uh, God had prophesied through uh, Elijah that this would happen. And now it's been picked up by one of the sons of the prophets later on. But Jehu's commissioning is occurs in the context of God fulfilling a word against Ahab. Verse 11. Now what does Jehu do? When Jehu came out of the servants came out to the servants of his master, which is uh, Joram, they said to him, "Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you?" And he said to them, "You know the fellow and his talk." So initially Jehu doesn't <laughs> know what to do or doesn't want to tell them. Kind of reminds you of Saul when he's anointed and Saul was hiding with the baggage when he'd been appointed and and not just boldly jumping into the role. Verse 12. And they said, "This is not true. Tell us now." Okay? So they understand something's going on. And he said, "Thus and so he spoke to me saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel." Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu is king. So very likely there's a mix of the commanders of the army realize that they're probably in a bad position with Joram, and and will find out later that they know that God has prophesied against Ahab and his household, so they're probably thinking, yeah, this is the time. So, But they respond with faith, that this is the word of the Lord, and they uh, quickly yield to Jehu. Verse 14, thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram with all Israel had been on guard at Ramoth Gilead against Haziel, the king of Syria, which we heard about in the last chapter. And note as well that there's kind of these two usurping stories with how these kings come to power. Haziel murders um, his king in a secret way. Jehu's going to do something different, but we'll see. But King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought with Haziel, the king of Syria. So they're at Ramoth Gilead, but King Joram isn't there. He's in Jezreel, dun, da, 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 that special city where his mother killed Naboth. So Jehu said, if this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. He's a good commander, so he understands, you know, surprise is key if this whole thing is going to work out. Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. Okay, so this is a setup because Ahaziah is also going to have some bad stuff happen to him. Because, most likely, because of that intermarriage, and his mother is actually a descendant of, or a relative of Jezebel. 
Now the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came to him. He said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet them, and let them say, Is it peace? So Joram wants to see. They see this like cloud of dust coming, these chariots coming. And he wants to know who it is, so send out a messenger. Verse 18, So a man on horseback went and met him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. And the watchman reported, saying, The messenger reached them, and he is not coming back. So you can see how the narrative center has moved from Jehu onto Joram. And we're at the in the city, and we're kind of seeing Jehu approach, but we're not with Jehu, we're with Joram. And he sends a messenger, and the messenger talks to Jehu. And Jehu says, You know, <laughs> you're either for me or against me and if you want to live follow me kind of thing and the watchman doesn't come back then he sent a second horseman who came to them and said thus is the thus the king has said is it peace and jay who answered what do you have to do with peace turn around and ride behind me and so he's calling him to war but against his master and again the watchman reported he reached them but he is not coming back and the driving is like the driving of jehu the son of nimshi where he drives furiously so even people driving chariots have a bit of a personality about it and the watchman can tell i've seen how jehu drives i had an old bible teacher who used to um, make fun of his wife and her driving saying that uh, <laughs> she drives like a son of jehu or a daughter of jehu which is really funny verse 21 joram said make ready okay so he realizes i'm in trouble here but he's going to go out there and so this is not a wise move on joram's apart and maybe the lord has withheld wisdom from him but it's going to cost him his life so um he but he's going to go and talk to him joram said make ready and they made ready his chariot then joram the king of israel and ahaziah the king of judah set out each in his chariot and went to meet jehu and met him at the property of bum, 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 naboth the jezreelite so i don't know if jehu start stopped there for poetic reasons or if it's just uh, a coincidence under the hand of the lord but it is under the providence of god and when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace can there be, so long as the whorings and sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Then Joram reigned about and fled, saying to Ahaziah, Treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew the bow to his full strength. So they're really slowing down the story here. They're giving you the play specifically. They're giving you the, the conversation, probably line by line here, and no summaries. Uh, Jehu just goes right for it you know your your mom's the problem and joram turns around to get away you know he probably should have never gone out there on his own jehu drew drives his bought a full boat of full strength so you can see him straining against the string he shoots with a killing shot the arrow and it says uh he shot joram between the shoulders so that the arrow pierced his heart and he sank in his chariot jehu said to Bidkar, his aide, take him up and throw him in the plot of ground belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab, his father, and how the Lord made this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. Now therefore take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. So you remember, um, if you remember, Elijah said that you're going to be like, eaten by crows kind of thing people in the city are going to be eaten by dogs people in the field are going to be eaten by birds and so this fulfills that eaten by birds part but what we learn here um, is that jehu was there hearing that 
pronouncement by Elijah because he was a servant of Ahab at the time. And we weren't shown that at the time. This is a, a technique that I think is called gapping, where details of the story will be revealed later on for fullness that you're meant to read back in the story and you go oh wow when Elijah was actually proclaiming against Ahab Jehu was there but it doesn't mention at the time and so Elijah probably knew who Jehu was even because he interacted with Ahab and so very likely uh, Elijah had seen him before and Jehu had been kind of serving and biding his time and now when when the prophet comes and anoints him he's starting to put everything together here yeah i was there i heard that pronouncement this is my calling i'm supposed to do this i'm fulfilling the word of the lord and so when he gets joram he throws joram in the field to actually fulfill a word from god that he actually believes in verse 27 when ahaziah the king of judah saw this he fled in the direction of beth hagan jehu pursued him and said shoot him also and they shot him in the chariot at the center of at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblim, and he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in the, his tomb with his father in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah began to reign over Judah. Now this is uh, interesting. So um, Ahaziah is pursued. They wound him in the pursuit, but he still gets away. But he dies later on. And then you have kind of this summary that his servants do take him back to Jerusalem to bury him in, in, with his father David. And so kind of what I think is going here is you're seeing a little bit of honor for him because he's the son of David. He doesn't get killed in the field. But when this king is murdered, you're just supposed to think, so what's God going to do about this promise to David that one of his sons would sit on the throne of Jerusalem? Because the king just got murdered, not in Jerusalem. And so that sets us up for chapter 11, where we're going to pick up the story of what happens there with Ataliah, which is really bad. Um, maybe your name's pronounced Athaliah, but I always say Ataliah. Forgive me. Anywho, Jehu is on a rampage here and is bringing an end to this like evil influence that Jezebel's had over the northern kingdom, as well as through her progeny in the southern kingdom. And if you know Megiddo, or Megiddo, um, is the place where, um, you know, the, you've heard the phrase Armageddon as the big final battle in human history. And that comes from the Hebrew Har Megiddo, Armageddon, Har Megiddo, Har meaning mountain. So um, here, this king dies at Har Megiddo, and it is his, like, Armageddon. But um, this location has some history of final battles happening there. Okay, verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jez Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. So here she is. Maybe she's like, wants to go out looking beautiful or is trying to look princessly or queenly or whatever. But um, she gets dudded up when she, when she hears that Jehu's come. She probably understands what's going on. Verse 31. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri, murder of your master? Okay, so she knows what's going on here. Zimri was like the first uh, usurper who killed a king to rule and he lifted up his face to the window and said who's on my side who and two or three eunuchs looked out at him and he said throw her down so they threw her down and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses and they trampled on her okay so <laughs> what a gory scene but this was prophesied then he went in and ate and drank and he said see now 
to this cursed woman and bury her for she is a king's daughter so she he intends to show her some kind of respect because she's royalty but verse 35 but when they went out to bury her they found no no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands and when they came back and told him he said this is the word of the lord for he spoke by his servant elijah the tishbite in the territory of jezreel the dog shall eat up the flesh of jezebel and the corpse of jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of jezreel so that no one can say this is jezebel so he's going to provide her some honor but god has made sure that there's nothing left to honor and he sees it and he says again wow elijah's word is fulfilled and this is like the theme of the chapter is that um, elisha initiates a series of events that are the fulfillment of what god was speaking through elijah and we're supposed to remember that day when jezebel picked a fight with elijah chased him out of israel and god said you know what i'm going to respond with hazael i'm going to respond with jehu i'm going to respond with elisha and this is all coming together now